0: Hello, hi and welcome. This is How to Buy a Kitchen or Bathroom The Podcast. And I am Lindsay Blair, your host, editor of Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms magazine and these 3 roomscom If you've tuned in before, you know the score. I'm here to chat through all the things you need to know to achieve your dream kitchen or bathroom. So far this series, I have had lots of lovely guests to offer great advice and design ideas on everything from how to set a budget for your bathroom renovation how to choose the right paint, getting kitchen storage right and ways to get a bigger kitchen without extending. A very popular topic, let me tell you. Do go back and have a listen to those previous episodes. If you have missed out on any, you will not be disappointed. But what about this week? Well, it's time to delve into the These Three Rooms mailbag and answer your kitchen questions and come up with solutions to some of your design dilemmas Thank you so much for all of your messages. I've tried to answer as many as possible and hopefully what myself and my guests this week have come up with will help you. So today, I'm not alone in the pod studio. I'm joined by my co-host today in real life, which is a bit of a novelty considering I've recorded most of this podcast remotely. So, hello to Georgina Townsend, who's the features editor on these 3 and on KBB Magazine. Hello, it's quite strange looking you in the eye. It is. We recorded one of these last series, didn't we? And it was done remotely because we were working from home. Yeah, exactly. I was in my my kid's nursery. Probably in pyjamas, I think I was. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Or like pyjamas on the bottom, work attire on the top. Of course. (laughs) Now, we ended series one of the podcast together by answering lots of questions from our listeners and readers. So given we've been sent lots, lots more, I thought it'd be fitting to do Another one. So I've dragged you back into the firing line to answer all of these questions. I'm ready. Good. Um, Now we've got so many questions that I've split them into kitchens and bathrooms, and we're going to be doing two episodes, one this week and one next week. And today we're starting on kitchens. And we've had lots and lots of questions in, which is great. Some of them are questions we get asked quite a lot, so hopefully we can help a lot of people out. Some of them are a bit more niche. And we've had to delve into our contacts book of experts to try and get some of the answers for people. Absolutely. Right, let's start in the old inbox, shall we? I'm going to start with this one from Robin, who tells us that he is planning an extension because he wants a bigger kitchen. Now, that's a very common theme in the queries we get. He says the extension will have lots of glazing, and include large skylight where the side return used to be and a window with a window seat, which sounds lovely. I like the idea of large doors, but want the option of just opening a little when needed rather than totally opening the entire width. Any ideas?
1: Well, absolutely, yes. So I have a friend at the moment who's going to be doing an extension and she said, oh, I can't wait, I'm going to get bifold doors. And my instant reaction was, no! no No more bifolds please I think I actually wrote an article two years ago about how bifolds were out and at that point it was steel framed glazing was in and even now I'm like no no more steel framed glazing. (laughs) People out there are going to be like what what are you talking about? I know that's exactly what she said to me she said "What? what what do you mean no bifolds they're amazing and Yes, they are amazing. Um, I have bifolds myself, but if I was going to be doing an extension, what I would do now is slim framed sliding doors. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, why? So you've got bifolds. So, but I'm curious, what do you think of your bifolds, and why did you go for them when you did your extension?
1: Probably because bifolds were all the rage. It was sort of four years ago. And I didn't really know there was anything else out there apart from maybe, you know, the classic French sort of open doors or just the sort of two-paned box-like sliding doors. And, you know, that was a bit old-fashioned, I think, wasn't it? Bifold was new and it was... But probably because I was like my friend, wasn't really in the interiors game, and thought, yeah, Bifold's brilliant. Whack them onto the extension, great yeah so how I find my bifolds beautiful maybe three times a year when it's all open but really in terms of practicality they're not that practical because they act as both my windows and they act as my back door it's so annoying when I'm like cooking a steak let's say and it's all steamy and I have to go open my bifolds and then it's windy and it bashes against and against you know itself and. I love my bifolds, but really I would pick something else now
0: if I had a I guess a with bifolds, you know, the very nature of them, they are bifolding doors. So you have to open one whole section yeah, to open it, even a crack.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you do just want to open a little bit, what I've found is that if it's at all windy, it will fly open. So... Yes. I've tried to advise her against bifolds, but she's um
0: convinced she's she wants the bifolds. And so that's that's fair enough. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, like I said before, what are you talking about? And that's quite a strong opinion on the old bifolds. We no favoritism against glazing here, promise. Um, but I do agree that I think The more modern option these days potentially are sliding doors with lovely slim frames. Because another thing with bifolds is that you have to consider the sight lines. And I think this is the same with steel frame glazing, which looks beautiful, which has lots of different panes. But if you want that look of being able to really clearly see through to the garden or your outdoor space and just want a seamless finish, sliding door helps achieve that a bit better doesn't it you haven't got all of those breaks and frames in the way of the view absolutely you can also get them
1: going up to your ceiling really it's almost like you can have a wall of glazing it's windows it's doors in one so I think they look absolutely beautiful I am also into at the moment a pivoting door it looks like a sliding door but instead of sliding it swivels essentially so you can open that just a little bit and i just think it looks really architectural really design-led and really considered instead of
0: just thinking "Oh, i'm just going to put on some bifolds mm-hmm.
1: so yeah i'm liking them when i see them at the moment
0: as well so the slim frames i mean you can get those in the lovely sort of anthracite gray lots of different ral colors so you can really have a, a, a lovely modern look can't you and then actually the glass itself is the star of the show and like we were talking about before you can just slide it a touch so if you are cooking a stick, just let the smoke out that way yeah exactly <laughs> although arguably I imagine a lot of designers if they are listening are probably thinking you just need a better extractor or a window, <laughs> or a window yeah.
1: <laughs> it's true but sometimes obviously when we have these extensions the rear extensions if they're of a limited size you know they are They do act as many different things, so... Yeah. Yeah. Just
0: letting a bit of fresh air in sometimes is nice, even on a cold day, isn't it, so... Absolutely. Okay, great. And I love the idea of a window seat. I love when people put that in. I think it's such a nice place to just sit... Absolutely, and you can do it
1: either as a reading nook or you can sort of incorporate it into your dining scheme and have cushions along it and, and then put your dining chairs around the rest of the table and I think that's lovely as
0: well. Yeah, lovely, and put storage underneath. That's my top tip. If you are building a seat, put storage underneath. You'll use it for something. Absolutely. Now, another email here from Alison, who is dreaming of an island, aren't we all? How do I know if I have enough space? Now, this is something we talk about quite a lot I mean, islands feature heavily in the case studies we feature online and in the magazine, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in every so-
0: sort of size of room as well. So the rule of thumb is to leave around at least a metre between the, the island and the whatever else you've got going on around it. So that's to aid good flow, to make sure you're not sort of opening cupboards and you know blocking a walkway so I think that's a good place to start so if you are thinking about having an island and you're concerned about how much space you have in your kitchen map out the island size that you think you might want and then add a meter on each side and then work from there but I do think that really is a minimum isn't it I mean a
1: meter is not that big I mean me being a netballer that's as far away as a goalkeeper can mark me you know it's not very far you know if you're going to open up a dishwasher or something and then someone's walking past a dishwasher door that's almost a meter isn't it so you're going to block a pathway so really I I think some I've spoken to some designers who say really it should be two allow two meters space yeah um, but yes the one meter is the very very minimum but I think you've got to think but then if If you think, oh yes, I've got a metre and that's kind of it, you think, but that's really going to dominate your space, isn't it? There's better things you can do in the centre of your room or just with your layout as opposed to an island.
0: Yeah, and thinking about the size and the shape of the island itself, before we even add that metre to two metres onto the ends of it, um if you you know you don't want an island that's going to be so big that you don't really know what to do with it you know you can't actually go too big with an island where it becomes just a vast sort of monolithic thing in the middle of your kitchen with no real set purpose or on the other side you don't want to go too small because then it becomes a nuisance and you might not be able to use it for what you envisage using it for um so i think you need to really think carefully about what you want to use it for do you want to have You know, serving space on there. Do you want to have a breakfast bar on there? Sometimes people integrate their dining table onto the island as well. So if you want seating on there, obviously you need to think about where that's going to fit. Maybe you have to allocate a little bit more space. So think really carefully about what you want on the island, how you want to use it, and then try and figure out how much space you need. But a good kitchen designer, of course, will be able to help.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's not all about an island. You could have a peninsula that's an L-shaped kitchen with a peninsula coming out and you can have your breakfast bar on the peninsula. That's actually my setup at home and I love it because I've got a whole sort of middle section which I can walk about in and and no one's going to get in my way. And the more, more social side is on the other side of the peninsula where the seating is and the dining table is. So it's an uninterrupted space. And it's very easy to walk around and create meals. And no one's going to get in your way if you're, you know, one side of an island or the other. And so, yes, I am, um, you know, I love, of course, I'd love an island. But maybe if you can't, haven't even got enough space for a peninsula, you could have um, butcher's blocks. Or you can have, there are certain dining tables out at the moment that are island height. So you can still get that bar kind of feel with some bar stools instead of dining tables and you can use that as a prep space as well as a dining space. So maybe if you haven't got enough space for an island, I think there are certain things you can do.
0: Yeah, and portable options are great on this. So um I've seen ones in Cox and Cox which is, you know, a beautiful sort of more traditional style wooden butcher's block on wheels, which is great. You know, it's not massive, but you could wheel it in and out and just have it against the wall when you don't need it, which might be a good flexible option. And even places like IKEA um, they have a, a portable option in there as well. So, you know, there are different ways. And I think the peninsula is obviously within the L shape and a U shape kitchen. I think that's when they work best, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, a few different options, but I think thinking carefully about the island and why you actually want an island. Don't because just have an island because everyone else is having an island. Yeah. Really think about why it would work for you and your space. And don't have an island for the sake of compromise and how you use the kitchen.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That leads me nicely on to another topic, which we get asked about a lot. Should you put your sink or your hob on the island? What do you think? Okay,
1: I'm going to put it on the table. I am team hob. Absolutely team hob. I don't understand people who put their main sink on an island. I'm just going to say it. That's how I feel. Oh, my God. <laughs> she's, she's got her arms waving up in the air. She feels strongly about
0: this one. Okay, tell me
1: why. Uh, Maybe it's because I am, as people who know me know, very messy. You know, currently around my sink is baby bottles, half cups of tea that have gone cold and, you know, plates and all sorts of just, you know, skanky things. So essentially, I don't want that on my sociable, beautiful island, if I had one, I suppose. And the hob, I suppose it's you know you've got that very idealistic image of your cooking, like a spag bowl, and you've got your family around you, and you're having a glass of red wine, and I think you've that, got like tomato splatters. Well, of on course, the work, yes, everywhere. Yes, yes, I mean you've there's spag bowls boiling over. <laughs> absolutely, I mean there's food all down me, of course. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, it's either spaghetti sauce down me or you know bubbles from the washing up liquid of it it's either one or the other and I choose the
0: tomato sauce but you're right because if you have the hob on the island you know you've got to think about that splashing of whatever you're cooking especially if you're frying things and you know you might have friends or family sitting at a breakfast bar you know a meter or so away you don't want them to be plastered in your That is true. if you're a very messy chef then perhaps it's (laughs) not for you
1: (laughs) Um, And also, yeah, again, if it's a super slim island, it's probably not a good idea as well. I think that there obviously has to be a decent amount of space um, if you were going to go for the hob option. It doesn't really matter, I suppose, if you splash someone when you're washing up. But I suppose it does if you've got
0: some (laughs) hot oil. Yeah, exactly. Safety is a massive concern, isn't it? And when we talk about hobs and often hobs on islands, safety is something that people ask us about because you don't want little fingers over and over a gas flame, or going towards the induction hob, just in case. Yeah, absolutely. However, I do have a
1: compromise, which is a tea serving station on an island. A tea, like a tea maid, like a tea, like it's <laughs> a tea zone. Okay, so like a side sink, a small, tiny side sink with a boiling water tap. So let's say you're being, oh, you've got just invited your guests around. Oh, do you want a cup of tea? Oh, okay, let me just go to my island where I've got a tiny small sink and a tiny boiling water tap and make you a cup of tea.
0: Wouldn't that be nice? It would be nice until those empty cups of tea go back next to the sink ready to be washed up. Or would you put those into the main sink That's in the main sink elsewhere. This is why
1: it's my tea serving zone and coffee zone. No dirty dishes and, and no cups go, go there. Okay. It's purely for show. I'm showing off to my friends that I haven't brought to tap.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to say, sink or hob on an island, I think I would have neither, which is another option altogether. I think if I had an island, I would just have it clear uh, with a beautiful worktop on it. You know, if there's space for a breakfast bar, great. I would have, you know, a seat in there. So it's a real social space and... I really like to eat and serve like mezze type food and like tapas and like share platters and you know, grazing boards, that sort of thing. So I'm thinking in my head that'd be a great place to put that sort of entertaining food so people can help themselves you know it's really social you can stand around sit on the breakfast bars and i'm envisaging like a nice sofa on the other end and you know music on it's just everyone's drinking red wine it's, it's just lovely oh take me i right. like now, how wine is in
1: both of our visions i, <laughs> I um, can imagine you just you know some proving some dough yes Onions. great if you love baking yeah
0: yeah, so rolling that, out some pasta yes exactly so I think that would be my preferred option I'm with you with the sink I think having dirty pots and pans or you know just crockery and stuff piling up in the sink you don't want to look at that central do you in your room and the hob I think the safety concerns I mean you know there are things that you can do to get around those safety concerns of course but for me personally I think I'd keep it clear
1: yeah definitely yeah or if it's massive go for both that's true if you've got a
0: massive island you could have a
1: sink at one end and a
0: hob at the other couldn't
1: you yeah and that's perfect for you know when you are cooking if you're using your sink is something where you you know pasta and washing your veg etc you know that's a great sort of little line there when you're cooking that's not going to get
0: interrupted by other people walking around so best of both worlds there you go right back to the mailbag. bag two quite similar ones here so i thought we could tackle them together One person says they have an open-plan room and they're looking to redo the kitchen. At the minute, the kitchen takes up a lot of space and then they have some space for a small, round dining table. But they'd like the kitchen to be less dominant and for the space to have a softer look, which is interesting. And then a similar one from a lady called Cornelia. While my kitchen's current configuration works from a practical perspective... I think it takes up a lot of room within the space. I wish it had more design features that make it more living room, in inverted commas, such as shelves that would allow me to display some decorative items. Um, So she wants it to blend in with her living area seamlessly and achieve a streamlined, airy look that doesn't take centre stage. So both of those are really about the kitchen not being the dominant feature within an open room. Which I find really interesting and it's something we're hearing more and more about, isn't it? It's my favourite term, the unkitcheny kitchen. Yeah, I want my kitchen to be less like a kitchen. Yeah,
1: I hear it all the time when I'm interviewing homeowners. That is almost key
0: to the brief is I don't want my kitchen to look like a kitchen. I find that fascinating. I think that's something over the last couple of years that is a real trend that, as you say, people are adding to their briefs. Yeah, I mean... What is it? is it? Do we have
1: this picture in our minds of what a kitchen looks like? Maybe, you know, when we were all younger, was it all sort of, you know, the wooden shaker and black laptops and kind of, I don't know, lots of lots of cabinets everywhere. Is it? Are we, are we trying to rebel
0: against our youthful kitchen? I, I really feel know. like no one now wants that sort of, well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but no one wants that traditional setup where the cook was just in a separate kitchen. And they were making dinner and then they would appear on the table and that was that was it. So if you were cooking, you're on your own in a separate kitchen. Now it's all about open plan spaces or, you know, zoned spaces where it's just a bit more connected. And I guess you don't really then want a kitchen in one style and the rest of your living slash dining areas in a, a different look. It has to all blend, doesn't it?
1: yeah absolutely and I think we've actually featured recently a kitchen that works really well with this kind of un kitchen it was the cover of our February issue and um, one of the things that she did was get a old 50s kitchenette they've called it Betty and they've upcycled it and that's where they keep their toasters and their bread bin and crockery and things like that and basically it's a freestanding unit that just has personality. And I think that's something as well that people are looking for is how can I make my kitchen unique? How can I make it have personality? And here's one great example is this freestanding retro kitchen unit that they've made their own. And I think that's probably if, you know, going back to the question, how can I do this is freestanding furniture. I think really takes away from the classic kitchen, look and you can either have that from a breakfast cupboard or you can have it as an island I've noticed a lot of freestanding islands actually where they've got legs instead of they blocky with storage and doors they're actually more like a table so I'd say that's that's probably one of my main tips is how to make a kitchen look
0: less kitcheny so look for more look for kitchen designs that look more like furniture rather than Kitchen in yeah. inverted commas. Definitely. Yeah, I love that idea. Now, Cornelia mentioned open shelving, which I think is a, a big trend and something we've talked about a lot. I talked about it with Kelly at Meliora Kitchens on another a kitchen storage episode a few episodes ago. And You know, there are pros and cons to open shelving, but it's so popular because it allows that introduction of personality, as you just said. You can have shelves that are specifically for your collection of cookbooks or, you know, lovely crockery that you've been collecting over the years or just some nice decorative items that might connect to a theme or even more similar items like in your living room.
1: And I do think the key term you've just said then is decorative because I think if you want open shelving as something that's practical actually they do get dirty and dusty and sticky so if you've got a favorite g and t glass that you want to use every week you're going to have to be cleaning some dust and stuff off that every time which you don't want to do so i would say yes looks beautiful but i wouldn't swap it for storage if you think oh i'll just keep my wine glasses out instead of having them in wall cabinets well yes it looks good it's yeah you're going to be cleaning your wine glass every time you want a little sip. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I'd consider that definitely. And actually, our April issue is a fantastic example of combining both the cover of that. They've got some amazing open shelving, but they certainly have enough closed storage to actually keep things in and be practical as well. Yeah. So I think it's finding that balance, isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's about the balance between the practical and the pretty, isn't it? Um, another thing to do with furniture is in your living dining area if that's connected you could also replicate the look of your kitchen so if you've got i don't know like a, a shaker style kitchen or a mat slab door you could use that style of door for say a media unit or a dresser or you know some other item of furniture that would connect the look because it's the same material it's the same color and it'll just flow from one space to the next. And a lot of kitchen companies now actually offer those items as part of their service. So if you are thinking you're going to update your media unit in your living area or your dining area, then it could be that you ask your kitchen designer to provide that for you as part of their service.
1: Yeah, I think that would look beautiful. And there's um, another thing I want to talk to you about about uh, Kitcheny Kitchens, and that is rug or no rug. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Now I am. I love a rug, first of all, just not in the kitchen. <laughs> I just think it's a harbourer for germs.
1: Uh, I had a rug in my kitchen, and while it looked beautiful, it was rank. Yeah, when I cleaned it and sort of actually looked in all the all the crumbs and everything. Oh,
0: yeah. So. If you think about how often you have to like Hoover or sweep your kitchen floor because of just the the day to day sort of crumbs and you know just stuff that just seems to appear on the floor. I always find onion peelings on my floor. Do you know, like the the outer part of an onion, the really like flimsy bit, the skin. <laughs> like, but the like the dry skin bit <laughs> that just sort of flies off, and the same from garlic that just always ends up in like the corner of my kitchen. So, if you're constantly hoovering or sweeping your floor, think about how much yak is gathering in that rug makes a kitchen not look like a kitchen though doesn't it (laughs) oh I draw the line I draw the line of that one what other ideas hidden kitchens that's something that's a really popular topic on these three rooms hidden kitchens and I guess that links to the unkitcheny kitchen so I mean we should probably say what is a hidden kitchen because you know it's a fairly new or you know niche design um, for a kitchen but it's essentially a kitchen that is hidden behind a set of doors that you can slide open when you need it
1: yeah and we, we are literally talking the entire kitchen we're talking the appliances and everything everything can be hidden away so yeah if you don't like the look of your ovens or your sink or whatever you can yeah you just slide it away and it just looks like an extra you know it depends how far you want to go it can just look like a, a wall For example, like a stud wall that you can sweep along to the side. And there's lots lots of different options for the doors as well. You could go bifold, you could go sliding, or you could have the pocket doors which sort of slide and then go back in on themselves. And yet if you're someone who just doesn't want a kitcheny kitchen at all, hiding it all is a great option.
0: Yeah, it's very slick, isn't it? And I think it works particularly well in very contemporary open plan spaces or even smaller spaces. So if you have a like a studio apartment for example and you you know you spend your evenings relaxing in the same place as the kitchen and the kitchen isn't that far away actually, it could really change the feel of the whole space by hiding away that kitchen once you're finished with it and also if you don't fancy doing the dishes, you can just hide those away as well until Perfect. the next day. Sounds ideal. <laughs> you will have to come back to them eventually, though.
1: <sighs> really?
0: <laughs> so, a few ideas there. I'm really interested to see where this non-kitchen-kitchen trend goes and how the sort of kitchen industry is going to react to it because there's some really great ideas out there. And I just, I'm really interested to see where, how far we go into creating a kitchen that doesn't look like a kitchen. I mean, there's even induction hobs now that
1: are hidden. Um, We've featured kitchens before where they're sort of inbuilt under
0: the worktop. Yeah, so it looks like worktop, but it's actually a a hob. Yeah, totally seamless. Yeah, really clever. Blows my mind. Speaking of hobs... I'm going to move on to some appliancey ones now because um, we've had a few so I've grouped them together and I think we've had rather a few specifically on this next one is such a popular question that I dedicated a whole episode of um, the podcast in series one to it so of course go back and have a listen if you haven't listened to that but the question is gas versus induction how do I choose? Okay,
1: well, I was very clear on my opinions on sink or hob, and I will do the same for this. I am team induction hob all the way. Now, we talk about this quite often,
0: don't we? As as much as we probably talk about bath or shower, because you are firmly team bath.
1: Yes. Firmly.
0: And I am (laughs) firmly team shower. Now, I am firmly team gas hob. Yes. And you are induction, as you've just said. Now, I'll tell you what I like about gas hob. I think one... I've never had an induction hob so I think there's a familiarity there and I like the fact that I can see the flame so I know visually what sort of level of heat I'm getting and the control of it so I can turn it up or down and I think that's pretty much it really. I mean
1: everything you've just listed there is the reason why I hate gas (laughs) hobs you can see fire (laughs) it just it terrifies me especially you you know when you you light it and you're like Woof and oh my goodness it terrifies me. So yes, I'm um you yeah, have every reason why you like it, I um dislike it. So induction I find very clean, very safe. You know, as I as you've probably gathered from this episode, I am messy. So and a messy cook. So um, much easier to clean and less terrifying. And again, I'm not only am I messy, I'm clumsy you know gas hobs obviously have those levels that you put your pans on one accidental swipe and everything's going
0: everywhere so for me I think induction is just safer all round. <laughs> now I will admit that although I do prefer gas and it's going to take a lot to change my mind I do hate cleaning it mm. because you've got to take the grates off you've got to get around all the burners yeah. and it's just a bit of a faff let's be honest Induction, you literally just wipe clean.
1: I will give you that, but equally, on induction there is a little sort of unless you've got it flush, there is this little tiny sort of lip around the edge, around the edge where grease and grime gets, and it's quite hard to get that out. So I will, Mm -hmm. I will concede that point as well that inductions aren't totally
0: mess free. Well, I would say ninety nine percent easier to clean. (laughs) Yeah and then every now and then you have to go around with a fine tooth comb <laughs> yeah. to get all those crumbs from the edge and yeah. um, now obviously with gas hops you have to be on gas mains so induction is an electric source so if you're not on gas mains then that rules gas out completely for you so the pros of induction I would say easy to clean easy to control they say although I've prefer gas. Well it depends. You
1: should ask my mum how to control my induction hob and it's like I'm trying to teach her rocket science. So
0: I feel like if you have an induction hob, I've never met anyone who has gone from gas to induction and regretted it. That's an important point to note. But I think, you know, you have to get used to your hob and there's lots of different buttons on all the different hobs out there. And they all, you know, do different things, have different zones and all the rest of it. So you need to really get used to the the buttons on your hob, whereas i think with a gas one it's pretty straightforward you just push and go yes. <laughs> hope for the best <laughs> hope for the best one thing about induction hubs that people often worry about is getting new pans which is a valid point but so long as your pans are good quality heavy bottomed not copper stainless steel aluminium or glass you should be fine So cast iron and 1810 steel will work fine. And often now you can get pans that are, you know, if you love a copper pot, you could get that with a a bottom plate that is induction compatible. So you can still get the look of the lovely copper pans, but it will still work with your induction. So just double check, I guess, um, when you're buying your set of pans. But generally speaking, most good quality pans should work especially ones that are made now. Yeah, induction is massively grown in popularity. So one day I am going to have to admit defeat probably and get an induction hob. But you're not alone. When I interview
1: chefs, they are all about the gas hobs because the temperature control is so much better. You know, on induction, you have one to nine in power, essentially. On gas, you can really ever so slightly change it. And for a keen chef, that ability to just ever so slightly
0: change the heat is all it takes to ruin or make a dish i suppose so so an induction hob works doesn't it by the magnetic connection between the induction plate and the pan and it's the the magnetic field it's getting quite technical now that actually creates the heat it really is like rocket science (laughs) it really is um so when the contact is broken it sort of that heat source effectively. Mm-hmm. So if you are wok frying or flipping pancakes or you know just being very chefy, <laughs> chefy, <laughs> the gas hob might actually be a better option. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like we said with the hob versus the sink, if you can't decide, have both. Have both. I mean, we're, we're going to have a very full kitchen at this rate. <laughs> Hob and sink on an island two hobs throw in everything else why not and don't forget the t-zone oh yeah the (laughs) t-zone forgot about that one (laughs) okay sticking with the theme of hobs here's another one extractor hobs what are they
1: uh super trendy and on everyone's wish list i would say essentially they're also called vented hobs and they basically combine your hob with an extractor so great example is if you're going to have it on your island and you don't want to in sight lines a downdraft or a vented hob is um ideal for you because it draws in all the steam and the air and the smells down into the hob um into a motor as opposed to sort of being drawn up in your traditional sort of cooker hoods or extractor fans
0: yeah so essentially the hob has an extractor within it doesn't it yeah again when you speak to people who have them They can't believe that they ever had a hob without it. (laughs) I know. Yeah, it's very, very clever. Um, So that's essentially what they are. Lots of brands are doing it, so very trendy. Now, I did say that we have some questions that got us thinking. Uh, Put our minds to the test, shall we say. And the next one is just that. And it is sticking with the theme of extraction. It's about a noisy extractor. So, Mark has asked us, or rather told us, that his extractor is really loud. He's been told that the ducting hasn't been fitted correctly and it's too small for the cooker hood. Is there anything that he can do without having to replace the whole appliance or without the upheaval of, you know, structurally ripping everything out. So you've gone to your little black book for this one, haven't you? I have indeed. So Rob Cole from Sheffield Sustainable Kitchens
1: has very kindly helped me out with this question. And he has said... Regarding the extractor, this is a real bugbear of mine. When someone has spent lots of money on an expensive extractor and it's been made noisy and less efficient by lazy installation, with the wrong size ducting. So it seems like this is a problem that happens a lot, right? So he then continues. The extractor itself definitely shouldn't need replacing, however it would make a huge difference to replace the ducting with the recommended diameter, which is usually 150mm round. This may not be entirely straightforward and will depend upon the pipework and how easy this is to access. It's likely a new larger core hole will have to be drilled through the wall. With ceiling extractors, it can be less disruptive to access and replace the ducting from above if floors are carpeted. However, he does say, I'd recommend going back to the installers and request they do this free of charge as it's them who have created the issue. Short of replacing the ducting, the only options are to run the appliance on a lower setting to keep the noise down. However, this will mean a lower rate of extraction. So essentially, you either have to have it on low so that it's not noisy or you're going to have to change the
0: ducting. So his point about going back to the installer or the kitchen company who did it for you in the first place is a really valid one. So I guess that's your first point of call, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's tricky because, I mean, I wonder how long this instructor has been in place. Did they know first off that the ducting wasn't the right size? Have they only just discovered? So yes, I think if it's there and then at the time and you use it and the builders are still on site, absolutely, I think it's... um, certainly worth saying to them this shouldn't shouldn't be like this yeah I would also say um it's definitely worth looking at the decibel rate on your cook hood as well because a lot of them do have very different decibels where they are going to be quieter noisier yes that's just something to bear in mind when buying a cook hood as well
0: yeah think about where if it's going to be in an open plan space then You don't want it to be interrupting, you know, conversation if you are cooking and someone else is in the dining area socialising. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really great question. And the ducting, that can cause quite a lot of problems to do with noise and the efficiency of the actual extractor. Yeah. So... Ask your installer about the ducting and talk to your kitchen designer to make sure that everything is in order. Because like Marcus's problem, it's probably if the kitchen company's not able to fix it for him, it's going to cost him extra money to get someone else in to actually solve it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: I hope that helps, Marcus. Hopefully it will. Now, Denise Brown has another dilemma. So she says, we would like to open up the kitchen to the rest of the space and add an island. We believe the wall shown in the drawing I've made is not weight bearing, but a challenge is where to relocate the appliances along that wall and also have enough storage space. So there are a few things in there. I think what we'll focus on is the challenge of where to relocate the appliances along the new wall and also have enough storage space. So my mind straight away goes to potentially having a bank of appliances, a bank of built-in appliances. So you have a designated sort of zone within that space, along that wall, where you have your set of built-in appliances. Um, So that might be, you know, your oven or combi microwave, coffee machine possibly, you know, all those built-in appliances that you might want in one sort of area as a bank.
1: Absolutely. And I think
0: you should look at the functionality of the appliances as
1: well. Can they double, for example, instead of having a microwave and an oven? What about a, a combination oven, which is a microwave and an oven? So you're not having
0: excess appliances, you're not using up too much space. No, I think that's a really valid point because sometimes it can be tempting to go for all the like fancy new gadgets and you know have this whole big, massive bank of appliances in your kitchen if you don't use it then one it's a waste of money and it's a waste of space so really think about the appliances you need as you say look at multifunctional options and don't be led into getting an appliance that actually is going to take up space and probably be used very rarely you know if you're not a massive coffee drinker do you really need that fancy built-in coffee machine yeah exactly
1: go for the t-zone on the island
0: (laughs) Okay, another one here from Julie who has got in touch via email. She is working on an extension project. So she's knocking through um, multiple back rooms and creating a full width back extension to make a rather large area, all open plan for a kitchen diner. But also it sounds like she wants a bit more of a living chill space. She says, I need help with how to zone the room for eating as well as watching TV. So this large space is going to have to have different functions for you know practical eating cooking as well as chilling out in the evening what do you reckon
1: well i'm all about the broken plan kitchen and that is by creating areas where like she's just said where you zone different parts so like you said the kitchen the dining the living the cooking the washing up everything can be zoned so if she wants to separate more maybe the dining and living area from the kitchen i would say somewhere to start is I love a good stud wall and pocket doors where you could create a really large opening but you can then shut it. And I think that 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 provides privacy and it it might help with sound. You know, let's say you've got little ones and you take the dinner party to the dining section. You can close off the doors and that just helps as a little sound barrier. And um, so I think that's a great way to start maybe but if she did, she wants it more open that really does maybe sort of separate the room quite a lot if she still wants it to be open then perhaps things like shelving could
0: work or i hate to say it a rug <laughs> rugs in the living areas are okay <laughs> i love a rug i said just not in the
1: kitchen so a great big rug an l-shaped an l-shaped sofa um some shelving even let's say a great big plant that stops your view straight into the living area just helps as well.
0: Yeah I think it goes back to what we were talking about before about making kitchens less kitchen like Mm. you know softening the space will help zone it as well because you'll have the flow so it feels like one entity but there'll be designated areas for the kitchen living area and dining area and I think again what we said before about decibel ratings when you're choosing appliances all appliances will have a decibel rating so things like the extractor washing machine if you've got that in your kitchen um check to make sure they're a lower decibel rating or accredited by quiet mark which is a great organization championing quieter home life for more wellness So that can help in a a zoned space because you don't want to be watching telly in the evening and have, you know, the dishwasher or the washing machine whirring in the background and interrupting that relaxation time. And I also think lighting is a key thing that we should probably mention here, because if you've got bright lighting in the kitchen and then you're trying to, again, relax in front of the telly in sort of the other part of the space, you one, don't want to switch off all the lights in the kitchen and have like a black hole in that part of the room. But two, you don't want the bright lights of the kitchen at the same time. You want that sort of dimmable mood lighting so that you can relax in that, you you know, wind down on the evening ready for bed. So having dimmable light on different circuits, I think is a really great tip there as well.
1: Absolutely. And even just what you do with your kitchen layout in terms of the cabinetry can zone a space. On one side of a peninsula, you could have kitchen storage. On the other side, it's a bookcase. So when you're sitting in the living area, when you look into the kitchen zone, it's more, like you said, softer. So you can have more decorative pieces on one side and the other side is more storage for your pots and pans so even something like that a simple way to separate the two spaces
0: yeah and I think what um is also worth thinking about is if you are watching telly on the evening and you know you've just finished dinner or whatever and you can't be bothered to clean up you don't want to be sat on the sofa and the sofa being facing into the kitchen air- kitchen area looking at those dishes you know if you're watching the telly you've got downtown abbey or call the midwife two favorite (laughs) programs on you don't want to in the corner of your eye see all the dirty dishes waiting to be done yeah you don't want them judging you (laughs) no so maybe when you're thinking about zoning you know think about what you're actually going to see from each part of the space yeah definitely okay um we're coming on to the final few questions now so One here about boot rooms, another ever popular topic. Um someone asked do they need one as well as a separate utility? Now there is a term banded around now, isn't there? Bootility. Oh yes.
1: I mean the term need is probably an interesting do I need a boot room? I mean, you know, it'd be lovely. Obviously, you've maybe you're out in the countryside, you've got kids, you've got dogs, you've got lots of muddy wellies, then absolutely. If you're a wanting your nice kitchen flooring to stay mud free, then absolutely. But you can absolutely combine your boot room with your utility. You could get some bespoke cabinetry that hides the washing machine and tumble dryer. And you can get some beautiful sort of integrated seating. You can make it look beautiful and it can connect with your kitchen. So need... Is probably the wrong term but if you can I would absolutely I would love to do it I'd, you know the idea of having a boot room and utility what a great way to just put all your stuff my dad's got a utility boot room and there's everything from dog leads dog treats the fireproof safe the tins of tomatoes it's kind of a larder sounds meets like utility. a bunker <laughs> yes it probably is like a bunker <laughs> You know, the cloakroom, the very small cloakroom's in there as well. You know, it's just a bit of everything. And if you you don't want that in your kitchen, if you want your kitchen very clean and very much for cooking and, and eating, separating the sort of more messier stuff is
0: ideal. Yeah, and if you've got pets, you know, you could even build in a a specialist dog shower, which we're seeing more of. If you've got a big sink in there, like a big butler sink, have a little shower attachment in there, and you can hose the dog down if they've been from Muddy Walk, or the kids maybe, (laughs) if they're coming in and they're dirty. So yeah, I mean, it can be really practical. And obviously, where you put your boot room or bootility, if you're combining the two spaces, is crucial, because you need it at an access point, don't you? So whether, you know, from the back door so you would come through the boot room into the house yeah so you can dump all your coats take your wellies off you know keep bags or if you're you know if you're sporty you might keep sport equipment in there and we've seen a few houses haven't we where they're by the seaside so they have surfboards or bodyboards or you know wetsuits and stuff and they're kept in the the boot room type space or if
1: you're a keen gardener perfect if you've got a sink you know you can keep all your messy gloves and you know your nice gardener hand soap i think it's very it's very practical if you're an outdoorsy
0: type yeah so think about your lifestyle and then weigh up whether you want to give over some kitchen space to that because that is the
1: thing isn't it you're going to have to sacrifice potentially how big your kitchen diner is if you want to have a separate utility and boot room
0: that's an excellent point now coming on to the last one here and this is a random one and not necessarily a question we've been sent it's one that we've been debating in the office and everyone's got involved because it seems no one really had the answer so, the question came from we were writing about laundry appliances, and we thought about where do you actually put the detergent versus the softener in the drawer. I mean, the conversation went wild, didn't it? Basically. So I put mine in totally different order to
1: what you did yours. I know, and who is right and who is wrong? We, I don't think we really know. Well, luckily
0: we went to uh, a good old Google and in the wash.co.uk seemed to solve our problems or at least gave us more questions. We said basically, didn't we, that you put your detergent in, in the drawer and my drawer had three compartments, but I only ever put softener and laundry powder in two of the compartments so what was that third compartment for I didn't put anything in the middle compartment whereas you put your softener in there didn't you I do right so what we have found is the compartment numbered number one which mine is actually numbered in the drawer itself if it's not I imagine you probably have to get your manual out and have a look to see which and goodness knows where that is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so number one is for the pre-wash so that's if you have you know really dirty load and you need that extra bit of washing to get all of the, the dirty tough stains out so if you are putting a you know a sporty load on or whatever you might want to put a little bit of detergent in your number one drawer for the pre-wash but number two which is usually on the left hand side i hope i'm getting this right is the main wash. So that's where you put your powder or your liquid detergent. And number three, which for me is on the right-hand side, is where you put your softener. See, I mean, this is blowing my mind. Good. To be honest, I'm thinking about
1: my drawer now. And I'm putting my powder in the far left, which I think
0: is correct. Yeah, that's what I do. And then my softener in the middle. Yeah, that. I mean, that blows my mind because... <laughs> My middle bit has no number on it, so I'm totally in no man's land when it comes to that one. I mean, when my husband puts the powder
1: in that one, it just turns to gloop, so that can't be right. So I think we can we can um, cross that one out. The middle one is just essentially no man's land. It is. Although, is it for
0: softener? Answers on a postcard, please. Yeah, tell please us what someone, you do. Yeah, tell us what you do, because clearly we are none the wiser.
1: I mean, is it meant to be this
0: complicated? Well, you'd think not. I mean, just bash it in and hope for the best. <laughs> or get those tablets that you just literally throw on the drum.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds easier, doesn't <laughs> it?
0: Ignore the draw altogether. <laughs> now, on a serious note, though, this did lead us on to talking about autodose technology, didn't it? Oh, yes. yes not to it dampen did. the laundry mood. But I think this is great and it totally takes away any of the confusion around where to put your softener and your powder. And it's basically new washing machines now. You just fill up like a reservoir, don't you? And then it automatically feeds in the correct amount of fluid into your wash and you don't have to open the drawer or anything to put it in per wash. Fantastic. And also
1: new washing machines also weigh how much laundry you have in there. So then it uses the correct amount of water as well. So that's good for the planet and that's good for your
0: water bills and, you know, just generally good, isn't it? I think it's amazing. I mean, anything to get rid of this dilemma, let's face it. (laughs) Well. I would like to hear from you guys what you do with your softener and detergent. Absolutely. Please. Uh, now, fun fact I did learn when we were talking about this is if your washing comes out sopping wet and dripping and you, you know, you're you pretty sure there's nothing wrong with your washing machine, you've actually put too much in the drum. You put too big a load in. I've certainly done that when I've left my laundry basket to pile up and then I've tried to shove too much in at once. And what I sometimes do is
1: I forget that I've done a wash entirely. So oh. then I have to wash it again because it's stinky. Yeah.
0: Stinky era. <laughs> I know. I am looking forward to the weather getting a bit nicer so you can get it out on the line because I always just think it's so much fresher that way. Oh, it smells good, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, I think we'll leave it there. We've got a topic for our listeners to ponder and to get in touch about what they do with their laundry (laughs) let us know Um, and if you do have any other questions please do get in touch and I will be back with Georgina next week to talk all things bathrooms we've got a whole host of different questions to do with bathroom design to cover so join us then and we look forward to having you again thank you very much well that was loads of fun lots of ground covered and i do hope that we've helped you out there with some tips and ideas even if your question didn't quite make the cut i'm sure there are some great nuggets of information for you in there thank you to georgina she will be back again next week as we go back into the old mailbox and answer your bathroom questions this time do join us again then for now, and as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I do love to hear any feedback. And you can email me on hello at these three com if you fancy getting in touch that way. Join me again next week for more of how to buy a kitchen or bathroom, the podcast.